0: Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bomb Time Podcast, presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Thursday, February 20th. No, we're not. On Monday, February 20th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Arsenal comes back off the head of a keeper. City stumbling and why I'm okay with it. And C- And United are actually real contenders. But first, oh my god, Grand Potter is doomed and we will go to XG School. But before we get to that, please like, subscribe, share the show. It means everything to us. If you love me, if you listen to the show and you aren't sharing, I'm not sure our relationship is going to work. But please do like, share the show. It means everything. Please uh, follow the links in the description to um, find out where to find the show. Uh, I'm on Laurent Cortines on YouTube, um, and you can go to the Chop Sports Network to find anything you want to. Please like and subscribe to the show. Let's get to it. So, Graham Potter is doomed. Uh, why do I say that? Um, Chelsea lost this week to Southampton at home on a free kick by James Ward-Prowse. And the football itself is is not what's important. What I think is more important is just the way we have to think about football and the way American owners think about sport versus um Europeans. I think the Burley experiment owning Chelsea, they think they have time. They think they can hire um a project coach that can loot that can go five and eleven one year or go one and fifteen. You know, like if you think about uh Jimmy Johnson when he first took over the Dallas Cowboys job. Sorry, my European friends, this is a famous story. Uh Jimmy Johnson went on to become a great coach for in the NFL, but he took on the biggest, it would be the equivalent of taking on Manchester United and finishing just above the or finishing in the relegation zone. Except the NFL doesn't have relegation. They had a one in fifteen season in a 16 game season, and it was fine. They traded their best players away uh in um Herschel Walker. This is like 1990, I think, or maybe 1989. And um got all these picks and ended up turning the franchise around. And if Todd Bowley thinks that he can do that with Grand Potter, he is mistaken. Football does not work that way in Europe. We have to keep bringing this up. It's not te- it's not owners and players. There's a third estate. It's fans. And a fourth, the the writers who represent We're supposed to represent the fans. The Chelsea fan and supporter is not going to accept losing. Um, They've just come off 20 years of a maniacal winning owner in Roman Abramovich. Whether he was making every call or not, whether he was a good guy or a bad guy, he had a method in place. They put all the infrastructure in behind, and the coach was the last piece that could be swapped in and out, and the expectation at Chelsea was winning. Winning, winning, winning. If you played poorly, you could have had a good season. If you didn't win a Champions League, you could be sacked. You could win the league and be sacked. Anything that detrimented from winning and changing things up, Abramovich fired people. And it didn't matter because the results continued, regardless of whether they fired people or chopped and changed and whatever. Now, we know that we are now in a different culture at Chelsea. Essentially, that entire infrastructure was ripped out of the team. Tuchel held the team together when Abramovich was forced to sell the team, which that's a little bit weird, by the way. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that. Um, And Boley has come in and taken on this team and is slowly trying to put something in place. But if he thinks that he can place an American model onto this team, he's going to run into something he hasn't seen before. Uh, We have seen it. Something similar like this happened in Charlotte with the Charlotte Bobcats. They had a, a Charlotte Hornets. They had an owner that the town hated, and they forced the team to move, and that team moved to New Orleans and Oklahoma City and then stayed in New Orleans, and the Bobcats went to Jordan. But there was an original team, the Hornets, that were in, um, that were in Charlotte, and the owner was so hated that the fans stopped going. Uh, I don't think Chelsea fans will stop going to Stanford Bridge, but what they will do is make it toxic. They will sing for Potter's head. They will sing, you're getting sacked in the morning. They will sing, you don't know what you're doing. These are classic songs that supporters can voice their displeasure at a club for. And there's a little bit more ownership from supporters to their club than customers to their teams and franchises in the US. So Potter really, this is not... Some little thing, and and in some sense, Potter should be fired already. Uh, to be frank, if if we're going by results and by spending, so there's an expectation level here. But I think Bowley is gonna treat it like it's an American team, and he's gonna fuck around and find out. Now, to be fair to Potter, this is a difficult situation. There are 30 players on that team, 33 players. A normal football roster that's manageable you play about 15 16 in training with with the roster to go to about 21 to 22 something like that cities i think is like 21 or 22 but to have 32 players on the first team roster so they don't have roster limits these players are signed to contracts are there potter's having to manage players that are two coaches before and where do they go when they do training so how do you manage the egos of a bunch of international players some of them purchased within the last 12 months for dozens of millions of dollars raheem sterling 50 million dollars 60 million dollars he's not in potter's plans how do you manage that and then the other piece that i think about with potter is he does not have a built-in level of trust that when you walk into chelsea football club you expect there to be a manager with a resume that matches the level of the players at the club. By that, I mean, is that player, is that manager someone who has won a league? Is that manager someone who has won a Champions League? Is that manager someone who's consistently, year over year over year, taken a relatively big club, not as big as Chelsea, and put them in a good place for several years in a row? I think we thought that was true of Graham Potter with Brighton, but Brighton are not quite a big enough club. The the players don't hold the stature to challenge Potter. Whereas at Chelsea, there are players that are like, who the fuck are you? What have you won? You won the Swedish League in the fucking Arctic Circle. You made one Europa League run that was cute. You kept Brighton up. And you finished sixth once? I won the Fuchu in Champions League 18 months ago. What are you talking about? I've been playing top-level football since I was 18 years old. What are you talking about? Who the fuck are you? So I think that is a piece of this that's happening with Potter. Uh, And I am curious about his very XG-based method. So one of the things that's made Potter well-loved among me, among the footballerati, is his play has generated a lot of expected goals and held expected goals back. And I wanted to get into expected goals. This is for you, Mike Redmond. Um, you know, I talk about it a lot and I want to make sure that everyone understands what I mean by expected goals, expected goals. I'm going to go to the old GPT chat and I put it in the description of expected goals for a five-year-old and I'm going to read it off to you guys. Uh, XG is a way to see how likely it is that a shot in soccer will result in a goal. It looks at things like how far a play away is from goal, the angle of the shot, and how the ball got to the player. By comparing these things to lots of other shots, it can figure out how likely it is that a goal will be scored. If the XG is really high, it means there's a really good chance the shot will become a goal. So XG numbers on every shot are placed between 0 and 1. Uh, a score of 0.5 means that if the same shot was taken 10 times, 5 would be expected to result in a goal. And if the, sh- if, if the XG is 1 or 0.9, basically it's a certain goal. So for instance, a penalty is, has an XG of 0.7. So there's a lot of different ways to calculate it. So you'll see different numbers in different places. Some of them are very simple. Some of them are very calculated. Some of them are from super high-end data collection where they add multiple factors in. And some of them are just, this is a shot and it's not 3D. And it's just, it's from here, there's a value. They basically take the pitch and, and annotate values based on every shot that's ever been taken. And they just mark it that way. It's fairly accurate. And why do I use it? I use it as a way to get a sense of how a game went and what kind of chances a team had when they played another team. So when I say, oh my God, uh, Arsenal had an XG of 1.1, but Aston Villa's was 1.9, that just means that if you accumulate all the shots from Arsenal and all the shots from Aston Villa... That Aston Villa's total shot values resulted in more goals. Just means they had more chances. So that's how I use it. And if you see XGs of like four or three and a half, those are big numbers. One thing to remember is when you look at XG, good teams that are winning leagues generally outperform their XG because it means that one, they have good players who are not average. So when a great player takes an average shot, they tend to get it in more often. And that when you're winning and you're top of the league, you tend to outperform your XG either in defense or offense. That's why you're where you are. If you just stay at your XG, it, you tend to slip a little bit. And then one of the things I also use it for is to see if a team is underperforming. Uh, this season, the big XG underperformer would be West Ham, who's in the relegation zone, but they shouldn't be. Uh, they've get, had horrible luck. Their shots aren't falling. They can't get any goals. Same thing for Chelsea. So that was for you, Mike. A little primer on the XG. Let us go quickly to the scores. So, early game, early kickoff. Aston Villa 2, Arsenal 4. Amazing game. We'll get right to that in a minute. Brentford, the amazing Brentford, pull one out late in a 1-1 draw with Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace relegation zone uh wolves lose to bournemouth i told you gary o'neill was good one nil good stuff from bournemouth and then the deutsche revolution continues everton one Leeds united nil fantastic result from our boy Seamus coleman on an amazing shot then chelsea nil southampton won southampton get off the schneid all the bottom three win today forest one. my beloved manchester city won you got battered but i'll get to that game as well brighton nil uh, fulham won This was a battle for the European places, and Fulham pull it out away from home. But they were battered as well. We're going to XG on that one. And our beloved Newcastle lose at home to Liverpool on the most ridiculous red card you will ever see. Then on Sunday, Man United wiped the floor with Leicester. But this game was much closer than you'd expect. Early on, Leicester put two really good chances on, and De Gea saved their ass. Second half, United were fantastic. And then Tottenham... Beat West Ham, Sonny getting in the goals. The venerable connection of Kane to Son get the goals. But we will go to Birmingham and Aston Villa to Arsenal. Four. Wow. This game was fantastic. This game was fun. This game made me fucking angry because all I wanted was for Arsenal to goddamn lose. But they found a way to. To win, so early on, uh our boy Ali Watkins puts ones in on a nice angle, put in through, scores the goal, and it's looking like Arsenal are in deep, deep trouble. And then on that's on five, then bakari sacco There were some great goals in this game. Saka on a cross, half volley, top bins, sitting in the middle of the box. How the fuck did he get there? Bang, bang, zoom! He puts it in. Then Coutinho, just as the second half. Is at, just as the half is getting to end, we it leveled off at, after 16 minutes. Then Coutinho, the dreaded Coutinho, finds a way, finishes the goal, does nothing else, of course. Shows up on match of the day as though he's really good. Philip Coutinho, you're not good, but you did have a good finish. So we go into the break, two one, Villa leading. Unai Emery's loving it with his weird beige coat. I didn't like his coat. That was weird. Then Arsenal come out second half like a fucking Hurricane. They completely dominate the second half. They come at it, you know, shot after shot after shot. Eddie and Ketia, three in a row, 61, 61, 61. And then boom. Our guy Zinchenko off the corner, unmarked. Well, eh, Mings could have picked him up. Zinchenko with the with the fireball shot into the corner. Doesn't really celebrate, runs back to the end line, showing Arsenal how to win, just like f- let just like fuck off. And let's get it done. And basically, it's all Arsenal the rest of the way. Uh, in the second half, Villa take three shots, none on target. Uh, sorry, take three shots, all saved. But Arsenal just take 18 shots in the second half. They're like, we're not losing this fucking league. There was one moment where you felt like Arsenal were in deep trouble when Martin Odegaard missed on 77. That was the highest XG spot there. Also, Eddie and Ketia it missed one in the middle of the box, and Ketia has had a hard time, but he hasn't stopped working. And then, late in the game, Jorginho, edge of the box, fires it in, hits the post, and goes off the back of the head of Emmy Martinez. Ensuing scenes, um, there is a corner late that um, <laughs> that Emmy Martinez against the orders of of Unai Emery tries to go up and um uh, and score. Martinelli gets a late goal uh on the 98 uh to win it. Now, I have to be I have to get the drama right. Jorginho's is in 93 plus 93rd minute. Uh there was a lot of time wasting. There was a lot of shit housing as you would expect. It's Emmy Martinez. He's trying to slow things down. He holds a grudge against um against um Arsenal. Martin Odegaard was incredible in this game. He created 11 scoring chance opportunity. What's the word? Shot creating actions. 11 shot creating actions. That means that he's either making the pass or the pass before the pass. So he was just all over the pitch, really trying to will Arsenal to win this. And in the second half, Arsenal just killed. Let's go back to XG. Arsenal's XG, and this was three. Uh, They did get a full one point. For the final shot in the game. So maybe a little bit less than that. But uh, a really good win. And this is a a narrative shifter. Um, You know I said. On Thursday. That this game was the biggest game of the season. For Arsenal. And you could hear it. The way the announcers announced it. Um, Guys voices were cracking. Giving a little. Whoa. on On the Jorginho goal. They sensed the moment. I think. I think. With football, the moments are what matter. And this became a moment. Uh, Arsenal coming out in the second half and just refusing to lose and really finding themselves again after a few days, few games, about three weeks of not being themselves. But they really found it against Villa and they're deserved there. They're not going to go away. So after losing to City and after losing a couple games and only catching one point in their last nine available, they get this massive win. And they're back top of the league. They're back in front. They have a two point lead, and we'll get to City in a minute. But for Arsenal, psychologically, this lifts them. This puts Arteta back in the driver's seat. This puts the faith back in the team. This puts them back together as feeling like, okay, we're going to be in this. This is not nothing. Um, This is a good, good, good Arsenal team. And when I said about a month ago that anything. Arsenal losing this league would be a bottle job. It's because of a second half that I just saw. This is how Arsenal have been playing all year. And this three-week blip was not really how they played. City haven't played this well at all, all season. City have not played as well as Arsenal in hardly any games all season. So to get Arsenal into this space is where they need to be. It's where you believe in them. It's where you feel like they have the look of a champion. There's a lot of psychological stuff you've got to take on a team. There's smell, there's feel, there's energy. There's They got down, and now they've lifted themselves back up. Does this win now lift them up and say, okay, we're here, we'll puff our chests out, we got a late winner? The later the win, the more likely you feel good about yourself. There's something weird that happens in football, and that is why this show is called, what's the show called? Squeaky Bum. That was a squeaky bum time goal and a squeaky bum time game for Arsenal midseason. There's a long way to go. There's a long way to go. But for them, this uh this is massive. Uh and I do want to give a little, little shout to my friends at Aston Villa. Uno Emery has this team in good shape. Aston Villa are fine. I love Ollie Watkins. Um, you know, they they're probably a defender away. You know, they could probably replace Mings or Konza, but Mings is a left-footed goalkeeper, so that makes him more fun. Um, you know, they have, they have a ways to go, but they're good. I really enjoy them a lot. And we got to see something we haven't seen before, which is Buendia and Coutinho playing together, which is something we'll, we'll figure out a little bit more as the season goes along. So where does that take the chasing pack? We go to Nottingham, not quite the Midlands, but sort of close city going to the city ground. Going to our friend Christian, who has been sharing in the WhatsApp videos of the city ground of fan singing. It makes our WhatsApp group fantastic. If you really want to know where it is, let us know. Go to the go to the the Facebook group, and we'll get you in the WhatsApp group where you can get live updates only from the city ground and Nottingham Forest, which is fine. But City completely annihilate. <laughs> I mean, I have to be fair. City draw this game, but they're completely in control of this game. Uh, It's really not a contest that I'm worried about. And it's one of the reasons why I'm not particularly worried for City in this game. They missed tons of chances. Tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of chances. Just unbelievable amounts of chances. And the fact that they only scored one goal on 2.5 XG really goes to show what they missed. Holland missed sitter, sitter, sitters. Uh, Bernardo Silvers was an amazing goal. Another assist for Jack Grealish. Who's been playing who's been City's best player over the last uh couple weeks? Again, shot, creating actions. Jack Grealish had 10. So he was actually City's best player. De Bruyne took seven shots and only one on target. All bad. He just couldn't seem to get his shooting boots on. He had the space. He tried to do it, and he just couldn't get any good shots off um, Holland. Uh, he had two shots. You know, just couldn't get it done. City just huffed and puffed and never really got anything done. But the thing that I want, there's two things about the City game that I do take in. On 58, Nico Williams and Andre Ayu come in for Danilo and Callback for for Forrest. On seventy-two, Mangala comes in for Shelby. On seventy-nine, Tuffalo comes in for Lodi. And on seventy-nine, Wood comes in for. Or- have you noticed that I have not mentioned any City changes? So, Forrest made all five of their changes. So, of their 11, they swapped them all out. They had fresh legs in the game, and you could tell. You could tell City were leggy. City were mentally sort of slowed down. I would have taken De Bruyne off. Because I felt like Forest were getting a, a foothold in the game not because of their play but because of their energy they had hung on they had weathered the storm of city's attempts on goal and didn't get their goals and then on 84 there's chris wood back post from morgan gibbs-white one of the best players out of one of the of the of the other 14 morgan gibbs-white has got to be one of the players of the season outside of the top 6 uh cross across the back post chris wood is there and city just kind of Lost energy. Um, Bernardo may have been at fault. I don't know. I don't understand why you're winning 1 0 and you're in the 80th minute. You don't go to your traditional back four that they did the other day against Arsenal and solidified the team. Um, And I just wonder, you know, sometimes Pep just does these weird things and you're just like, how can you not see this? I can see this. I can see this. I'm not smart. Um, Then the other one that I want to talk about that the city. City world, if you're into City world, uh, which mon- most of you aren't, and, and this is one of these things that only fans of their clubs can see, is Ederson for City, our goalkeeper, has been poor. Um, he's the third worst save, super- save percentage in the league. Basically, of the last 14 shots on goal against City, eight have gone in. So we're not getting that extra line of defense that, that Al- that Allison, uh, Allison provides for um, for Liverpool, and we'll go into that when we get to to, to Newcastle. Ederson just doesn't bail City out. You want him to bail us out once in a while, and I understand the way City play. When City give up chances, they're really good chances, and that Wood chance was about as good a chance as you could get. But it felt like Ederson maybe could have got on the cross, maybe could have come for something. I'm not sure what it is, but I just wish we had a. Keeper on form. I don't want Ederson to come off. I think he's fine. You know, it's just when you dominate a game like City did, you don't get a result. You're just gutted. Uh, And good for Forrest. I mean, it seems like, again, Steve Cooper, my favorite ugly coach, uh, had a game plan. He was like, hey, if we hang in here, I'm going to go for it. And I think that was brave. um, To bring on Chris Wood when you're someone like Forrest most of the time, these lower down teams, they don't try and win these games. They just say, not in the face, we'll take our one-nil no, loss. But not, not, um, not, not Cooper. He said, hey, I've got Chris Wood. I brought him in here on loan for a reason. Let's go get this game. Let's go put these five fresh legs on. If I can change half my team, just the running alone should give me something. Uh, and it did. And, and Forrest deserved their point, even if they should have gotten beat. You know, they they saw an opportunity and said, hey, we haven't lost this game. Let's go win it. And so they go get their point. Um, they, they haven't lost the game yet. Let's try and draw. Let's try and get something out of it. And so Cooper does that. And Pep and, again, City now, they have that great win, and then they slip again. So this this City team is still not sharp yet, but I will say this performance from City was really, really good and something to not worry about. Uh that has to take us to something I am worried about, which is uh Manchester United 3-0 over Leicester. Um, I do want to talk about the takeover bids. So, United are up for sale. I think the sale of Chelsea really pr- pricked the ears up of all these um all these owners. And we're just like, you bought what for Chelsea? I'm man United. It should be worth $7 billion. Uh so the Glazers. Notoriously, one of the most hated owner groups in the Premier League. American owners, owner of the Tampa Bay, um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, the Glazers own the team. They've owned the team since two thousand five. They did a very leveraged buyout, meaning they borrowed money against the purchase of the club to saddle the club with almost a with about half a billion dollars in debt. And they've been taking a dividend. They have not invested in the team. Uh, United fans can tell you much better than I can that they're running it for profit in a gross way. They're not taking their role as owners as seriously as the English would expect the owner of Manchester United to take their club. Now, they've been there 15 years, they've won things, whatever, they've spent lots of money, but there's something different, there's an intangible desire that you want from your coach, uh, from your owners, they're treating United as though they're slumlords versus someone who's saying, hey, this is a venerable institution that I've purchased that means a lot to a lot of people that I'm going to take care of and leave in better stead than when I got here. So right now they've let United decline the same way that Mike Ashley let Newcastle decline. They're kind of parallels to Mike Ashley, except the money is different where United are just like you know, they generate cash because someone put the work in and they did 25 years of winning and the Glazers have been living off that. Um, but the owners in question are a weird one here where a Sheikh from Qatar, I don't have his exact name, who's the head of the uh, Qatari Islamic Bank, the QIB, who's not the state, very important, because the state of Qatar owns PSG this is an individual, and they're already saying the right things. We're going to buy this thing outright, no debt. We're going to respect the institution and take care of the blah 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 all that stuff. Then the another guy is called Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Ratcliffe, he's a very he's one of the richest man in Britain, uh, in England, and he's known for um, he owns Nice, and he has been around. He's from Manchester, and he's sort of buying it with capital, and he doesn't have. The same package as the Qataris. So this is an interesting piece where, you know, we're all attacking City, attacking Chelsea. Oh, your money is ill-begotten. United's could be ill-begotten. We have to deal with these moral quandaries about owners. Who are they? What do they do? What are they about? How do we feel about it? I know I have to deal with my own owners. Everybody has to deal with their owners. It's kind of one of these things, but, you know. That's the status right there. Two bids in on United. It's going to take a long time. We're talking between 5 and 7 billion for United. Now, the actual match. First half, I thought Leicester were very very good. Uh especially the first 20 minutes. They had really good chances. Uh the Harvey Barnes shot was a was a 0.45 xG save by De Gea, which is a huge huge number. Uh and then the other save was another one from Ian Acho on 21. So within the first 20 minutes, Leicester had a goal of XG saved. So that's massive. And then Rashford gets his first goal in really strong. Fernandez has been fantastic. Sabitzer has been fantastic. He puts it to Fernandez and Fernandez gets it on to Rashford, who finishes with a rifle. And from there, it feels like, you know, Leicester lost a lot of juice. So United go in at the break, up a goal and feeling like hey that was tough that was weird smartly um ten hag makes a change he brings in ian nacho changes the shape and the game completely changes second half is all united they completely battered uh, <laughs> they completely battered lester um really really badly i mean delo almost had a goal in the first half but it was really over from then on and late Rashford gets one on 50, and then Sancho, on the best goal of the game, uh, gets another. Fernandos and Fred, both with the assists on the goals, respectively. And it kind of peters out with a 3-0 win for United, but a difficult 3-0 win. Even though, in the end, the XG is really high, the first half was poor, and the second half, they were dominant. Um, What does this mean? United are three points, two points behind City. And they have to be discussed. Are they a real... Title contender? Are they there? I mean, if you take out the sort of first three games of the season, United are top two. <laughs> like they're really, really good. And I think, you know, I talked about it a few months ago, but Ten Hogg has transformed this team. He has done an amazing job. I mean, we're talking about Ericsson and Casemiro coming in, but Ericsson and Casemiro have not played for the last few weeks. And United are still winning these games. They had a little bit of a slip against Leeds. Those Leeds games were tough, and I thought Leeds played well, but they got results. And they're sitting, you know, in the in the driver's seat in third place, maybe Arsenal and City punch themselves out. There's a gap now coming between the top three and then the next uh and then the, the fourth place spot that Spurs now occupy, which seems fucking bizarre. Because the season has been so weird. But uh we have Arsenal on fifty-four, City on fifty-two, United on forty-nine, and then it's seven points to Tottenham in fourth. So there's a little bit of a gap opening between the top three and the rest uh within the top four. But um United are really good. United are really good. They play really well. Uh and Ten Hog changes games. You know, we You want your coach to make the right decision from the start, but if you're not going to make the right decision from the start, when you make changes, you want those changes to affect the team, and um, his changes do affect the team. You know, it makes the team do something different. It makes them tougher to play. It makes them create more scoring opportunities. He moves a player ten yards here, ten yards there. Uh, one of the talking points of United has been uh, the the, the much loved Veghorst who had a Pathetic attempt at, <laughs> at a bicycle kick. He can't score. He can't move. He's all over the place. He's playing as a 10. But I think there's something about him that brings spirit that his teammates seem to like him. So I think that's a that's a good thing for uh, United. He's still shooting. He's still trying. He took uh, four shots. Most of them blocked. Only one on target, um, you know, that he, late in the game. But I think he's liked. He's working hard. Uh, There was another shout around Sabitzer. Did he put his knee into Faiz's leg? Yes. Did he press down and push on it? No. And I think that's the reason he got away with it. I think, and this is one of the reasons why players throw themselves to the ground. Had Faiz thrown himself on the ground and acted like he was shot in the kneecap by Sabitzer, he, Sabitzer would have been sent off. But because FaZe, Fout FaZe, gets hit in the leg and kind of keeps going, then the referee is just like, oh, it's fine. And that's the reason. There's a reason why people dive and roll around. It works. I know no one likes it, I know everyone thinks it's wrong. But the fact of the matter is referees don't call calls unless you act like you've been shot. So if you get spiked in the knee, roll around on the ground and make sure the guy gets sent off, even if it makes you look bad. Because the fact of the matter is Valt Feist did not throw himself on the ground and roll around, so Sabitzer didn't get sent off. Now, is this another VAR controversy? Blah, blah blah Sure, I don't want to get into it. You guys know how I feel about VAR. I think it's wrong. I think it's stupid. I don't want it. I'd rather we just play on, because what I love about football is its continuity. Speaking of continuity, <laughs> um, uh, we've got to go to Liverpool who have been playing with continuity and do get some of their players back. Uh, they go to Newcastle and what you expected would have been a massive game, and in the first few minutes, Newcastle are on they're on top of of Liverpool. Um, uh, Almiron almost puts one in, but, um, uh, again, that Edison versus Allison thing. Allison comes off his line and saves it. Thank God for Liverpool. They need him. They're still a little, a little, a little flaky, but this is a good away win. Um, <clears throat> uh, let me just go into the play log here. Yeah. First few minutes. Yeah. Almiron goes in and St. Maximin has a different shot. Then, um, but then early on, on 10, Darwin Nunez on an amazing pass from Trent Alexander on a classic Trent cross-field ball from about the three-quarter line right into Nunez, takes it down on his chest. There's a look of handball. It's never a handball. He fires it in. Then on 17, on an amazing pass. Oh, oh, I missed these. Uh, from Mosala. he puts in Gakbo. Gakbo bangs it home. And 2-0. 2-0 to... Um, To Liverpool and they're cruising. Now, are they still giving up chances? Yes. Then on 22 after the goal, five minutes later, there's a an amazing ball from Allison. Allison, you're better than Ederson, uh, flights a ball directly to Mo Salah off a corner. He grabs a ball. And Nick Pope, inexplicably, who's been playing a high line and is one of the most active um goalkeepers in a league, he misjudges the flight of the ball. He tries to head it. He takes a step back. He takes a step forward. He tries to head it, then just gathers it with his arms outside the box for a red card because he knew Salah was right there. Then, so there you go. Nick Pope, red card. Dubrovka comes in. They have to reshape the whole thing. And the game's basically over from that point on. Um, Now, from a Liverpool perspective, it's weird because... Newcastle still created a lot. Um, You know, Linton, Joe Linton had a shot. Alan St. Maximum was taking, had another shot. Even in the second half, uh, Alexander Isaac had a decent opportunity that he misses. And then um, Joe Linton, eh, not as good a shot, but Callum Wilson gets saved on 82. Like, there's just opportunities for a 10-man Newcastle that you have to give credit to Newcastle. But come on, Liverpool. Uh, that's not cool. You're still not airtight. So they were lucky to get away from this game with a clean sheet. And I would not feel great about this performance, to be fair. Um, and, you know, they had 22 minutes where they looked like Liverpool. And then the rest of it, they looked like Liverpool of this season. Uh, but they're fine. You know, they play. I should bring it up. I'm going to talk about the Champions League in a minute. They play Real Madrid tomorrow or Wednesday. I'm not sure. And that'll be a game where they really need to show up or else they'll get beat badly. Uh, another piece on this one for Newcastle. For Newcastle, this is a loss on back on the back of all those draws. They're now out of the top four. Uh, Spurs pipped them uh, with the win that they got. And they lose Nick Pope for the EFL Cup final, which is on Sunday. So this is a real blow. I don't know what Nick Pope was thinking. Just a rush of blood to the head, as they say. So they will have to go to their third choice keeper because their second choice keeper already played for United in the same tournament, and there's something called being cup-tied, which means you cannot appear for two teams in the same tournament. It's really big in England. So Dubrovka was on loan at Man United. They recalled him to Newcastle. He was the previous goalkeeper before Pope, and he wanted to play. And um, he now... Cannot play in the AFL Cup final. Nick Pope can't. We may find our friend Loris Karius, the former Liverpool player who famously got a concussion in the 18-19 Champions League final for Liverpool because uh, Sergio Ramos elbowed him in the head, which was fucking bullshit. Anyway, craziness, craziness. But we'll see what's there. Liverpool have... Real Madrid, City have Leipzig, but we'll cover that in a minute. Ah, Chelsea. So we move on to our friends in Chelsea. Um, I don't know what else to say about this team. They cannot score. I talked about it on Thursday. I was like, "You've got to score against Southampton," and they couldn't score against Southampton. I can't believe it. It's fucking absolutely mind-boggling that Chelsea Football Club, one of the great. Clubs in London cannot score goals to save their fucking life. They're not even creating goals. Like they had one and a half xg, okay, to point eight for um for Southampton. Southampton were game for this game. Sellis has already said, "I want the job over um uh, over Jones." He's got the playing well. He looked great on the sideline. Raheem Sterling missed an inexplicable goal. Uh, classic Raheem Sterling. He always misses these kinds of goals. That his misses. His four shots were worth one goal, uh, 0.9 XG. Uh, I'll, I'll stop talking about it. But yeah, more of the same. I could have told you, Chelsea fans, Raheem Sterling ain't scoring goals unless you give him goals. You got to put it on a platter for him. So more of the same from Chelsea. More control. Kovacic was there. Enzo Fernandez, like I said, looked good. He went with Fofana, Datro Fofana at striker because he still can't find one. and Maduque, was in there and Mason Mount on the other wing. He's still teetering and tottering and trying to figure out what the best group is. Um, Kulibali came back in. He was a mess uh for Silva. No Silva in this game. Ended up, I think he had to bring him on later. Did he bring him on? I don't remember. No, he did bring on um Fafana for Koulibaly. So a lot of weird stuff going on with Chelsea. And again, like I said at the top of the show, I don't know what's going on with Potter. Um you guys know I loved him. I loved what he did at Brighton. I think in the long run, he would, he will turn this team around unless they do see him as less than. I don't think his skills are missing. It's a psychological thing. Maybe the players are like, you ain't it. You're not him. So uh, Chelsea just have to turn this around. They do have an opportunity to turn around. They are in the Champions League. So Chelsea do um, take, they already took on Dortmund last week, but you know, they're down a goal. They have another week to prepare for that game and see if they can't turn that around. But again, they haven't scored two goals since the war of 1812, since the battle of Stanford Bridge. I don't know how they're going to score two goals to beat um, Dortmund. Uh, And now your top four, Mr. Tottenham Hotspur defeats West Ham. Um, This was an ugly game first half, very much what you'd expect from a London Derby, what you'd expect from two teams that are known for their hooliganism between each other, not in general. But uh, this was an ugly, ugly first half. Uh, The only cheers in this game were for tackles. Some people like that kind of stuff. It was not fun to watch. Uh, And then in the second half, it opened up. Emerson on a really good goal from Ben Davies. They were both playing fullback. They were both playing wingback. Um, really nice uh, combination play there from Hoyberg to Davies onto Emerson, who's played great since um, <laughs> since uh, Pozo came in, and then Sun from Kane. Who else on seventy two to get the two goals and put West Ham away? West Ham are so so bad right now. They can't seem to score goals at all. Um, they have the firepower; it's there. They only put. One shot on target versus Spurs. Spurs ain't this good. That's Eric Dyer in the middle of defense. What are you doing? It's Clement Longley. Like, this is not a great defense. What are you doing, Uh, West Ham? You've got to attack this team. You've got to find a way to hurt them. They're not this good. Stop being so defensive. Open up. Like, if you're going to lose, lose trying. So Moyes, I think any other season, he'd be in trouble, but he's getting a lot of opportunity within the context of this season. I'm not sure he deserves it. Um, There's nothing here that says that, that West Ham are good, aside from the fact that their XG is good. So yes, they lose, but they're losing well, and they're taking shots, and they're creating opportunities for themselves, but they are in the relegation zone. It's a fact. It's a fact. They're 15 goals off their XG. That's bad finishing. It's shocking. Their XG difference is plus two, but in real actual sport, they're minus 10. That's a 12-goal swing. When you have a 12-goal swing in XG, you're in the relegation battle. They should be somewhere in the top 10. Frankly, that's what their underlying numbers say, that they are a top 10 team. They're playing like a top 10 team, but are in fact in the bottom three. It's shocking. And I'm sure David Moyes is showing these stats, people going like, how the fuck are we not winning these goddamn games? There's no way they should be this bad. I want to look at the culprits of who's taking these shots and not getting the goals in. I think I looked at it. A while ago, and I just want to look at it again. It's sort of spread throughout the side. Bowens has six XG, six and a half XG, but only four goals. Bonrama has 3.9, but only three. Mikel Antonio has 3.1, but only two. You'd want someone to be outperforming it. Maybe it's Gianluca Scamaca, who has three on 2.5. But then there's a lot of Declan Rice, has near two, but only one goal. So there's a lot contributing to it, and it's just shocking how unlucky they've been. They just can't seem to get their goals to go in. Um, and it's pretty bizarre. Uh, same here same goes for Bowen. Bowen is the one who you'd expect to have you know at least two or three more goals. Uh, they just need someone to outperform. like somebody has to show their class around goal, or else they will be in this relegation zone. And I think ultimately, if they move on from Moyes, they'll be in more trouble. Um, and that's, that's my West Ham take. And then for Spurs, Spurs are in the top four. They're just plugging along, winning the games they need to win. Um, they're still scoring more than you expected. Defense has been awful this year. Uh, you know, just XG of 28, goals against 35, so giving up seven more than you'd expect. Sometimes that's on the keeper. Sometimes that's on the defense. And you can see these are when I talk about XG, and I've talked about it a lot. I know it's really to confirm what your eyes tell you, right? It's hey, they look like they give up a lot of chances, but they don't seem to give up that many goals. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, they're all performing their XG. Or damn, that shot seemed to just go in. Why did that happen? And then you look and you're like, oh, that keeper's bad. So it's really to help confirm. What you see, uh, so Spurs sitting in the top four. Uh, New Newcast- they have a game in hand on Newcastle, but they're 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 they you know they're a point ahead of them. There's no reason that they can't finish in the top four at all. Uh, there is some buzz on Liverpool finishing in the top four now. There's a little bit of like, hey, maybe Liverpool have a run in them. Uh, I not the way they defend. I still don't see it. They still they still way 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 a midfielder away from that uh, being true. Um, but let's look at the the rest of the fixtures. So I think the big one of the rest of the fixtures was the Everton game versus Leeds. What a massive win for Dyche at home. You just expect it. You know, I mean, it's Dyche, it's Liverpool, it's Everton. They're at home. They're going to find a way to win. But what a way to get this goal. Uh, Seamus Coleman, been at the club for almost 15 years, 10 years, was there for the good days. Uh, bought from from Ireland for like half a million dollars, has been the captain of the team, famously broke his leg, missed whole seasons, became more defensive. He was a much more up and down and attacking uh, fullback at that time. He just fires in a shot that he's hoping for and it goes in on a tight, tight angle, uh, beating Melier, who just stood there and watched the goal go in. Uh, We did not see much from Leeds in this one. This was a, a good... Dominant, strong performance from Everton, and you know they're going to get these results, and they're going to stay up. There's just no doubt on it. No doubt in my mind now that they will stay up. Um, and now I worry for Leeds. Uh, they're just not creating enough, not really finding the back back of the net, not really taking enough shots. Only eight shots. I mean, this was Everton; they were one of the worst defenses in the league. But now they've got Dyche. They've got that triangle of defense that they do from the middle of the goalkeeper spot to the corners where they just pack that area with the back five. They just don't let you shoot. Uh, They block everything. They don't let shots get on target. And so uh, for Leeds, they are now in trouble. Uh, I think they're probably regretting sacking Marsh, especially you didn't have a plan. What were you doing? Uh, this one had some really fun feistiness uh, between McNeil and our boy Tyler Adams. A little bit of a fight on the side of the end line. Double yellows. Good stuff from Tyler Adams. I really like him. I really like Tyler I really like Tyler Adams. I really like McKinney. I like our American boys. We're not seeing much from Arison, Ar- Aronson. He seems to have uh, disappeared a little bit for them. A little bit of trouble there. Uh, another relegation zone winner. I do want to give a shout-out to Bournemouth. I did say Gary O'Neill had that team playing, and they get a massive, massive win against uh, Wolves, who are also in the relegation zone. But our friends from from Bournemouth do get a win, and they are out of the relegation zone while Leeds and West Ham go in to the relegation zone. So all the bottom three won, and that means we had two go in and two go out, which is nuts. So, uh, I'm trying to remember this goal. Oh, Tavernier. Yeah. It's across from Solanke goes off his knee. I did say, <laughs> I did say, and I don't feel, I'm not a genius. I did say that Bournemouth needed Solanke to be in and Solanke has been a catalyst for their last two. They've gotten points in two of the last three games where, you know, I think Solanke makes a difference for them. Yeah. That a win and a draw, uh, Solanke, is really good. And and that draw against Newcastle now looks really, really valuable. I think Neto coming back in for, for um, Bournemouth makes a difference. He's a really, really good keeper. Uh, Something that, you know, teams should always look at, you know, he's up there in the, in the XG save. He's got an 84% save percentage, 4.4 post shot XG. So a really good keeper. That's stopping goals that you would expect to happen. Really good player, really good player. Their goalkeeper, he had been out for a while. Now he's back in. When Gary O'Neill got that bump, uh, he had Neto in goal. So Neto's playing really well. Solanke's back. I still think they'll go down. I still don't think West Ham should go down. I don't think Leeds should go down. I don't think Everton should go down. I don't think Wolves should go down. So this is the difficulty. <laughs> three have to go down. Who are the three? Uh I still think it's um Southampton and Bournemouth. But I think Gary O'Neill can feel good about what he's done for his team. And uh, we know about Lopetegui and Wolves really just driving that team forward. They're going to be absolutely fine. And then the last game of the day. Let me make sure that I check in before we go to Europe. The Fulham-Brighton game was really fun. Uh, Brighton going back to their Brighton-ish ways where they completely dominate this game. Their XG is over the roof, and they lose 1-0 at home. Classic Brighton. 2.2 XG to 0.3 for Fulham. Fulham's goal is a smash and grab in the 88th minute. Again, Manor Solomon, the Israeli. On the break, really good finish. Fires it low and hard on the break. Good pass, I think. Just make sure I got this right. From Carlos Vinicius, who holds it up. (sighs) And then fires it over uh, for the goal for Solomon. But yeah, again, freaking the chances that uh, that they had. McAllister again, Sully Marsh a couple, Ferguson one, <clears throat> just good, good chances that they just can't finish. A really frustrating day for for Brighton where they could have really put pressure on the European places, but instead they sit in sixth while Fulham are in, se- in sorry, in seventh, while Fulham are in sixth. Liverpool are going to have a hard time jumping those two, but they're both locked, nailed on to be really good pushing for European spaces. Okay, we're getting near the end of the show. Uh, Champions League tomorrow, we have Liverpool versus Real, Napoli versus Frankfurt, City on Wednesday play Leipzig, and Inter play Porto. These are big games I bring up for Liverpool's sake. This is their season. They got to win these games. Please, 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 please kill Real Madrid. If you can kill Real Madrid, then I'll feel better about it. Although that would mean I'd have to play Liverpool. I don't want to do that. Uh, for City, I'm less concerned about Leipzig, even though Nkuku has come back for Leipzig. Uh, Leipzig are, you know, Bundesliga teams are generally lightweight in uh, in the in, in the Champions League because they all play the same way. There is not a lot of variety in how these teams play. They all press. They all run. They all have poor defense. Um, they're almost ubiquitous in the way German teams play. So I'm less worried about Leipzig. City can handle a team like this, no problem. They have a philosophy. They play two-two-two-four, really narrow, and City will exploit that. So less concerned about that. But City have should have beat Forest, and they didn't. So we'll see what they do there. <clears throat> and we will check in with you on Thursday with those results. Okay. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Channel and presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you got your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show. It means everything to us. Thank you.